In today's episode, we discuss habits and discipline for a better life, martial arts training, what makes someone a hero, law enforcement training, the importance of mind-body connection, knowing yourself, personal discipline, and more. I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode with Raul Martinez. And if you enjoy the show, I ask that you please leave us a quick review on your podcast platform of choice. I'm definitely currently looking to build up the reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps to spread the message of the show and get us in front of new viewers. So again, I hope you'll enjoy the show. Thanks again for listening. Today's show is brought to you by IcePod, finally an affordable, portable, and effective way to get the benefits of cold water immersion in the comfort of your own home. I opted for the Pro Bundle, which includes the IcePod, a water circulating pump, a special insulated lid, and a thermometer to check the temp of your water. Even in Georgia, the IcePod keeps my water between 60 and 70 degrees, and when I load it up with a 36-pack of water bottles that I use and refreeze after each session, I can easily get it around 50 degrees for the perfect cold water immersion experience. Despite being light and portable, the IcePod is super durable, and it's the perfect solution for anyone who wants to experience the benefits of cold water immersion without spending thousands of dollars for a home water chiller or trying to DIY your own. Cold immersion can help with recovery and muscle soreness, raise dopamine levels, help you wake up and be more alert, help you to burn more calories, mobilize brown fat, and more. Visit podcompany.com and use my special promo code SHANE50107 for $10 off your order, and each sale helps to support the show as well. Stay cool out there, people. Are you looking for the perfect high-protein snack that isn't loaded with stuff like MSG, nitrates, and sugar? Carnivore Snacks is the perfect high-protein snack made from quality grass-fed beef and salt. That's it. Each bag uses one pound of high-quality beef, lamb, pork, or chicken, salt, and nothing else. Aside from being easy, healthy, and convenient, they also taste great. These snacks are not just another jerky. They are way better. Give a bag a try, and I know you'll keep coming back. Check out Carnivore Snacks, spelled with an X, dot com, and enter coupon code SHANE05137 for 15% off your order, and each sale will help support the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast as well. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hey everybody, welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm excited for today's guest. I'm here with Raul Martinez. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you. So uh, I, I hopefully uh, you got some energy left for us. I, I saw your, your clips today, your story. You, you had some hard training going on today. It looked like MMA day, right? Yeah, today was a, today was a sparring day with the guys over at Fight Ready. So it was a lot of rounds, a lot, a lot of rounds. I think it was two hours of five-minute rounds all day. So energy is still high. I'm super excited about these these podcasts and the chance to talk to you, especially uh, because of the book. 
I, I had a really uh, good time with that book. It was my flight companion. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, like a lot of the, uh, kind of like the networking I've done, you know, the people that I've met that I'm bringing on the show, I know, I, I think you followed my Renaissance wisdom page a, a while back. And I, you know, every time I get somebody that's got like a, a verified, you know, blue check, I, I typically kind of make a habit of just reaching out when I can and offering a copy of the book. Cause you never know, you know, somebody's got a large following. They, they shout out a couple of people on the book and, you know, kind of spread. So, um, I think I had reached, reached out and sent you a copy of the book and, you know, followed up with you a little bit. And I, I was really happy when I saw you like sitting on the plane with the book there. It was really cool. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, anytime I get a chance to read something, especially from that time, uh, time piece, it's like really cool. And I, I enjoy the whole medieval genre. So to me, it's, it's, it was, it was a blast to read it and, and kind of like look into it and be like, man, you, you put that thing together really well. I was really impressed. Awesome. man, appreciate it. So, um, you know, enough about me and my book. Every, everybody's already heard about that a, a million times. They're sick of it. So, um, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about, a uh, little bit about you, about your background, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. For, for those that don't know me and, uh, I'm horrible about this in, in classes and presentations. Cause I have this thing where like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about myself, but it's, it, it's always like backfire. People are like, no, like really, we want to hear about you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, so I'll it's share. All about you. And yeah. And look, I, I, uh, Humble beginnings, right? Grew up in Chicago, had a great time growing up in Chicago. Most people are like, oh, super violent city, super bad, super this. Uh, in the time that I was growing up, it was it was awesome, right? It was still like neighbors yelling across window to window, third floor buildings, and, you know, relaying down the line, down the whole street until they got a hold of you that mom was calling about something. So the, the times were cool still. I mean, there was a lot of gangbanging and a lot of street turf wars, but it was just the nature. Like to us, looking back, it's okay. Maybe it was a little risky and dangerous, but it was just how you lived. And it wasn't really like a concern. Right. So Chicago was, was that for me, uh, would I raise my kids in that environment now, knowing what I know, <laughs> probably yeah. not, but parents did what they could. So it was, it was really cool. Or mom did what they could. Right. Uh, I'll give her all the credit for, for the hardships and upbringings now uh, from Chicago. It, it was, it was a quick transition into what I always wanted. I always wanted to be, uh, a military soldier. I didn't want to be law enforcement. So a lot of guys were like, oh, I always wanted to be a cop since I was a little kid. And our neighborhood, middle-class neighborhood was everything from, these were the three jobs that people were like going to lead their lives towards. You're going to be a fireman. You were going to be a cop or you were going to be a city worker of some sort. Those were the yeah. three, because those were all the connections that you had. And that's kind of like your neighbor, your your, 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 your best friend's dad, these guys all did those jobs. So that was kind of that. And then you had like the criminal element of everything, which all of us kind of played around with. It was just something you did for side money or hustling. You're just having fun. Right. Um, yeah. so that whole side was just what it was. And for me, it was the military and I, I have to blame it on GI Joe's growing up playing GI Joe's. I was like, oh, I want to do all these imaginary missions that I took these GI Joe's on. I was like, I'm going to do these for real. So later on down the road, you get past all the uh, early years, right? And I joined the military, joined right after, well, shortly after 9-11. So I, I got on, got on 2004, 2005, and then 2006 were all training years. 2007, we deployed to Iraq and came back 2009. Man, that was a wild time, but it was probably one of the best times. That's where I really figured out a lot of things about myself. I figured out that I really enjoyed teaching. I liked communicating. And, and, and then 
our ability to work with some of the locals. So we worked with a lot of Iraqi army guys and our ability, my ability personally in that, that's where I was figuring myself out as, as far as teaching went was how quickly I can get people. We didn't even speak the same language. So I was going through an interpreter, which was a buffer, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To get these people to do something that we needed them to do. So for me, that's kind of where I started developing my style of teaching and figuring out, well, if I can't tell you something, I might have to show you physically and having, you know, the fight background and the training background really helped because I can move my, I was in tune with my body. So if I needed to move a certain way, I'd be like, Hey, we need to turn that hip or we need to turn that shoulder. And it allowed them to see me do it, even though the words maybe didn't translate right away. Uh, but that was a big part of my figuring out what I'm doing now. And that's why I'm kind of spending a little bit of time there. It gave me an insight into myself. And I, I really fell in love with teaching and, and making other people better uh, the best that I could, right? Yeah. Uh, fast forward military stuff, uh, more teaching stuff. And then I became uh, – I signed a contract for a drill sergeant school. So I went to drill sergeant school, became a drill sergeant for the Army. Probably the coolest thing I, I've ever done and the biggest investment <laughs> the Army made in me. Uh, teaching me how to teach future soldiers. And that, that was wild. I really, I really appreciated that. And it, it was an honor to serve. And then it was an honor to teach for the, for the military, left the military, did a little bit of private security contracting. And that opened up the whole world. I was everywhere from Jamaica to Barbados, to Australia, New Zealand, just traveling around, doing cool stuff with cool people, uh, mainly diamond merchants. We'll go with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, came back home and, Ended up on the police department. I never wanted to be a cop, but it was cool to do that job. Uh, was a cop for a while. Knew some people. Fast-tracked to becoming an undercover officer. Started working the heroin epidemic that was going on at the time in Chicago. And on a flip of a coin, I was like, hey, I'm going to move to Arizona if this hits heads. And I told my boss that in, in, in our little meeting. And he's like, no way, dude. Nobody does things like that. I was like, boom, I flipped that coin. It hits. I'm like, hey, here's my two-week resignation letter and he's like no shit and he's like all right well cool man i'll see you when i see you and right then and there i came out to arizona became a deputy in arizona and it was the opposite right from slushy mud-filled alleys in chicago with millions of people to the back roads of yavapai county where you're 8200 square miles for 100 deputies so you're just driving all the time country roads uh, but that's me in a nutshell and then to where we are now, Rogue Methods is the expression of all that time and service and training and build up to where now we can share a cool product with people. Yeah, and, and so I mean, there, there's a there's a ton to unpack there. I mean, you have a really 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 interesting background and stuff too. I mean, um, <clears throat> what uh, what branch in the military were you in? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, in the army. I always leave that out. Army. Like yeah, I, people, I assume people would know. Yeah, I, I was guessing army when you were saying that you were, you know, over in Iraq and you were doing a lot of the training of the troops and stuff. I knew that's typically more of like an army thing, but I didn't want to assume. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah so it was army, army was a good time. The the other thing too, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later too. You know, I'd, I'd love to talk about the uh, your time as a police officer too, because. And especially with all the stuff you see, you know, in, in recent years about defund police and, you know, for those that don't know, I mean, I, I'm a jujitsu black belt. I've done, done some boxing, kickboxing, you know, I've been involved in the martial arts for, you know, most of my life. And a lot of people just don't realize how little training a police officer really gets. Like, 
it, it's very easy to sit at home and criticize and say someone pulled their gun too fast. But what a lot of people don't understand is a lot of these guys, they've, they've had a few hours of, of training if, if they're lucky on like a, on a hand to hand situation. So these, these guys are terrified. You know, you're, you're just like an average size male. You got some huge dude coming after you, like getting in your face. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to be quick to the gun draw when you, you haven't been trained effectively to kind of understand how to deescalate, how to be confident in your own skin, how to handle a situation. And as, as I'm sure you've seen, you know, in your years of training, a, a guy that's 120 pounds or 130 pounds with proper training, I mean, he's, he's going to be a confident dude. He's going to be, you know, he's going to know his his space that he needs to kind of protect. He's going to understand how to deescalate. He's going to have confidence in everything that he does. So, uh, man, that the training that you're doing, I mean, I, I hope to, that there's a lot of law enforcement out there and stuff too, but, uh, I mean, you're, you're doing great work, man. Cause it's that, that's what really is needed. I think in the law enforcement level is more training, right? We, we really need that, that training for police officers, especially. Yeah. There needs to be a better emphasis. And like you said, right. The guys that are aware, and that's kind of what our program does. It makes you aware of your equipment. It makes you aware of the strong parts of your body. Like a big focus for us is just keep the hips away from somebody else. You know this from jujitsu at the, at the level that you're at now. If I can get you to keep your hips away from somebody, you're not going to the ground, you know, unless you're getting hit or something really aggressive happens or you decide to take it to the ground. So hips back, protect your gear, and then keep things between you and them. So no matter what, any and every martial art that's worth <laughs> that's worth something is uh, is going to have frames. You know this from 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 jits, right? Even wrestling and boxing, everything has frames. So if we can keep hips back, gear safe, frames in between, we can control the situation. And the problem with law enforcement training, and I, I taught at the Chicago Police Academy for a little while, mostly firearms, is they prioritize the end result without having practiced all the in between stuff. So they practice handcuffing a whole ton. I think you do something ridiculous like. 40 hours of handcuffing, right? It's part of your like graduating packet. And it's like, yeah, but people don't let you put handcuffs on them. You're either going to get a compliant person or you're going to have to fight to get those handcuffs on. And a lot of the time, this is the fights that they do the training for. They don't represent what they're going to see in real life. And this is where yeah. you get guys that get spooked or gals. And then this is where guns come out or tasers come out. And it just, look, excessive force is just ineffective force caught on camera. Right. It's just something repetitive that looks really bad when it, look, it might look bad if I just drop a crazy fast elbow across your your chin and it knocks you out. It might look bad. But what looks worse, me swinging a baton 15 times and then my buddy tasing you. Right. And those are going to have even more of an impact on the person than just a quick swift knock and then they're out. And I'm able to, to control the situation. Right. And a lot of a lot of guys aren't are. It's not that they're not trained for violence. I think nobody wants to address how to go about training for violence. And there's a bridge that needs to be, there's a, a bridge that needs to be built between the higher echelons and then the actual trainers and instructors. Uh, the disconnect is here, right? So you have your training, you have your trainers, and then you have the element that approves training, approves everything and anything that they're going to back you legally, right? So you have your admin side your lawyers and everybody who approves curriculum. Now, if you can bridge the two and you can connect them and have them see what it looks like for ha to have good training and what it looks like for these officers to be confident in this higher force training, 
then you'd be good with it. But they're so far removed. They're, they're in two different buildings, completely away from each other on two se separate parts of the city. And I think that's the disconnect. But if you have some brave instructors that are willing to invite brass in and show them what they're doing, I mean, you'd get, you'd get a crazy turnaround of investment, both from higher command and you'd get more of an investment from the officers that are like, well, check it out. Our, our higher ups are here watching us. Let's do this the best that we can. Um, but that just needs to be removed. The timidness needs to be removed from, from the training staff. Yeah. And I suppose some of that probably has to do with like a, a little bit of the ego too, right? I mean, like people are probably pretty reluctant, like, I'm going to put myself in the spotlight here and show how little I actually know, despite being on the force for 10 or 15 years. Right. I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on what department you're in, how much, how much hand to hand or how much action you're actually seeing. But, um, it's intimidating to, to put yourself out there and put yourself in front of a bunch of dudes in a room and, you know, show how little that maybe, you know, it is until, and again, it's awesome to, to, to reference the high level of, of training that you're at. Cause once you hit a certain level, it's no longer about you. You don't even care what right. happens to you. You give people taps, you give people what they need to get better because if they don't get better, you don't get better. Right? Like, yeah, exactly. once you mop everybody, you're like, Oh, that was cool. But now what do I have? I'm stuck with a room full of where I'm the best guy. And that's, that's not a good place to be. Right. You need to have people elevating and, and getting better. And so if the instructors would just put a little bit, like you said, put that little ego aside and, and they're like, and, and you see it, right? And you get guys that will go through and they're strong guys. You get some strong wrestlers or you get just big football player guys and the instructors are smaller. Maybe they've been lazy for a while, you know, and they don't know how to perform the way they should be performing. And they won't put those people through certain paces because they don't want to be outdone by that new guy, right? Like you should be outdone by the new people. Your training should be so good that they are beating you because your job as a leader is to make more leaders, not a, just a bunch of followers. And so if you had guys with that mentality training people for this profession, the profession of law enforcement, I think you'd get way better results. For sure. And like something that I think is really cool from what I've seen with Rogue Method too, right, is, is your training is – it looks very different than what I see, you know, I've, being in the jujitsu community, I know a lot of black belts that train law enforcement, right. And they, they go in and they teach them, you know, how to shrimp and how to, how to do mount escapes and how to pin somebody and how to apply a rear naked choke. And some of these, like, you know, kind of like fundamental basic things with your training, it, it looks a lot more applicable where you're actually involving weapons into the situation. I've seen you doing like gun and knife training. I see you, you know, doing takedowns. I see you doing gun control, body, body positioning, you know, um, tell me a little bit about like rogue method and, and, you know, what, what you actually go goes into the training that you, you put people through. So what I wanted to showcase with Rogue Methods and, and, and the, the situations that I've been in and the things that I've watched and the stories that I've heard from friends and all the countless hours of videos that we try to watch and learn from real-time events, I was like, man, a lot of this stuff is standing up and it only goes to the ground when somebody either panics or they trip. There wasn't like a decision and this whole like right. all fights go to the ground for law enforcement. Like they only go to the ground because they need to put handcuffs on the guy. And it's really hard to handcuff people standing up that don't want to be handcuffed. It's like the hardest thing you can do standing up. So that's why fights go to the ground. Not because these dudes are genius ground fighters. They all, for the most part, most cops are horrible at ground fighting. You have your exceptions, right? Every, every profession does. 
Uh, but it's just this missing link. And so what I wanted to do with Rogue Meth is, is offer a good, strong stand-up. Don't go to the ground. Don't let anybody dictate how your your posture and standing positions are, are going to be affected by by their decisions. Like you make the decisions to do all these things. And then the introduction of – so it's a lot more stand-up wrestling. And then the introduction of the tools is what changes everything for everyone, right? I can't go in certain directions. Let's say the muzzle's pointing – this way. Well, now I can't perform all of my jujitsu on this side. I have to keep everything on this side. So that cuts half of your style, half of your techniques, half of your abilities down. And that's where a lot of the jujitsu players get lost. And what we do is like, they're trying to do all this spin, cool, awesome, great stuff, not knowing that they're putting themselves in danger by going in that direction, because that's where the muzzle is. And again, these are the big, uh, the big topics that we try to cover and what make us different from just jujitsu training with guns and knives. Uh, also our, our, our training guns have a penalty for making a mistake, right? Your, your partner is going to shoot you with these marking rounds and it's going to be like, man, that would have been a horrible decision to go that way. Uh, and we do allow striking, striking changes, everything. If you, I'm sure you, you guys practice a little bit of, uh, the combat jujitsu, right? Which is like Pancrase style almost. And that changes everything. Jujitsu changes when you're striking. So I try to give them a little bit of that. So we still do the ground stuff to get to the feet. So if, if we do ground training, it's ground training to get back to standing or if we're on the ground, how to get back on top. Those are our priorities of work, especially when tools are involved. It's really hard to access things off of our backs. Uh, it's really hard to pull off of your back. You're limited to where the ground lets your elbows touch. And I'd rather be on top of the person and control the situation. And that's what we're trying to offer is top control, not getting taken down, fighting from standing, and then learning how to control the person via the limb, right? It, it's less about controlling the gun especially in our weapon training stuff, our, our gun and knife focus is how do I control that limb first? How do I take that arm away from you? And then how do I take the angle? And then now I can own the person. And little by little, you start chopping them down. And we do a lot of, uh, we do open palm strikes. We do short range elbows. We do a lot of clinch practice and fighting. And all of that is just so that we can, and it's so simple, right? I, I use a frame, but I also use the frame to strike. So now I have an elbow built into a frame, which is like, oh, cool. I don't even have to practice this. I already know where it is and I know where it's touching. And that's, I think, the biggest difference between what we do and what a lot of other uh, training companies do that do something similar is we incorporate the strikes. We incorporate the guns, the knives, situational training, force on force training. And then we put it all together and, and then it kind of just plays itself out, which is the beautiful part of it, which every class then becomes its own unique event that won't be able to be replicated ever again. Right. Because if we bring these two people that just went through this one iteration, the next time they meet, they're going to perform completely differently. They've learned from what they've done. They've learned from the other person and their pressure levels are going to change. So now you're, you're just by making them go through these hardcore events you're fast tracking their ability to learn and perform because of how hyper violent they are. Yes, it's a controlled environment, but it's not easy, right? Yeah. It's not a simple task to have another human being a hundred percent of their energy, not give you something uh, when you really want to do it. So I think that level of intensity is what's been making people really appreciate what we do. Yeah. And like for, for anyone that's not, you know, I'm sure I have a lot of listeners out there that have never, you know, been involved in martial arts or combat sports. There is kind of a magical thing that happens in your body when you, you put in these like hours of practice or when you put in the reps and you start to develop the muscle memory where things that you once had to think infinitely hard about, like a, you know, just 
when you start, you know, you're, you're so focused on, okay, I've got to keep my hips back, for example. But, you know, after so many hours, those things just become automatic. They become integrated and you're, you start to focus more on, you know, different aspects. And so that's why the type of training that you're talking about is so important, especially for law enforcement, is it, it makes them more comfortable in the situation when it when they get into the real world there's there's not this sense of panic right it's it's a trained response versus just going into something blind um i really like what you said about the handcuffs too it just my jujitsu brain it made me think of a triangle choke like if imagine you go to jujitsu and you spend a thousand hours learning how to finish a triangle choke but you never learn how to how to add a, actually set up a triangle choke right i mean it, it would be, it would make absolutely no sense, but that's kind of what you're talking about with the, the handcuffs. So I, I like that. And, you know, I can, I can tell, you know, from a martial arts perspective that you have a very smart approach going into it where you're breaking it down into a system and saying, okay, how are we going to bridge this gap? How are we going to get into the situation where we can immobilize someone, apply handcuffs? You know, what are we doing in the time that happens between that? And, you know, what are some of the variables that might come up? So, um, Again, man, I, I I love what you're doing. I really appreciate it. I, I hope it uh, hope it spreads. I hope you uh, can you know continue to just spread that that knowledge is so important. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and the way it's been received has been more than favorable. Everyone who's come to it is so. I think we're at like something like thirty five to forty five percent return rate right now for awesome. being fairly new to the market, and so it's really cool to have that kind of repeat. Uh, the friendships and the bonds that are building people are like, man, I really, I do a lot of jujitsu. We have a ton of jujitsu black belts that come through the program and they're like, ah, okay, that's what we were missing. Oh, okay. This is this. Um, a lot of jujitsu has a lot of like really close face to face stuff. Right. Or even like when you would move the face away to get an arm bar and all these things that put you in danger of being bitten are big conversations I have with a lot of jujitsu guys. Like even a triangle from the bottom, let's say, and you're, you're, you're trying to control this bad dude. All he has to do is turn and bite your inner thigh. Like when's the last time you trained for that? Right. Or when's the last time you did some sort of release from somebody's mouth pinning your flesh against their teeth? Like there's not a lot of training for that. Yeah, I've had a buddy who got bit in the lat as a cop, and it's just like, oh, dude, now what, right? Like, you put somebody in a headlock, you got them in control, they turn their face and latch onto your meat. That changes everything. Yeah. Um, that's why a lot of jujitsu is really face-to-face. -face. Oh, I'm just going to pull them in for this, or I'm going to do a little bit of this tie up here, or this Russian two-on-one. The dude just turns and bites your cheek. It's like, those are things we don't train for. None of us as martial artists train this when people uh, come together to train because we respect each other and we're just not going dirty. But the, there's an element in the world that doesn't care about those things. They'll bite your face. They'll bite your ear. They'll bite your hands. Um, and because that's a real thing, we've thrown it into our stuff too. <laughs> we're like, well, hey, if you're compromised and all you got is a bite, give yourself permission to do that because it'll get you out of some hairy things, right? Give yourself permission to put fingers where they don't belong and into orifices and rip things. And, and like, you have to be as brutal as what they're trying to bring to you because now that tools are involved, the only other outcome when you lose this tool is that the tool gets used on you. And that's yeah. a horrible way to go. Right. For sure. For sure, man. Uh, again, yeah, I, I love it. I could, I feel like I could talk about it all night long. Um, so, <laughs> something I wanted to to move into a little bit was, uh, you know, your your kind of your personal journey as far as the martial arts. Like, you know, what what kind of things have you learned about yourself? You know, about about life. Like, what kind of lessons have you picked up along the road of the martial arts journey? A lot of it is patience. 
patience when you get injured, patience when you're trying to learn something new, um, patience when you're trying to teach. That's been a consistent one for me because uh, I want to do all these things, right? But there isn't always um, time for them. Not that we can make time or, or move or shift time. Some the, some things require more time than others to get better. And patience has been a big one. Uh, everything from, uh, and we've done a lot of stuff, man. I trained for that MMA fight and that was super cool. Fall, I trained for four months. So the, here's the patience thing. <laughs> we trained for these three months and then COVID hits for the next fight. But the first fight we train and it's like, awesome. This is super cool. Here we go. We're expecting a nine minute match and it went 26 seconds right so i, I knocked the dude out in 26 seconds and, and it was like okay well damn now what right we trained all this when i could have just went and, and by no means am i like an awesome fighter i'm more of a brawler like my heroes tank abbott tito ortiz those kind of guys right uh, <laughs> the old school just bang and see what happens next kind of deal uh there are so many more talented guys now uh, especially with what the sport is now. It's just like they're super athletes that happen to be beating on each other, right? That's what it's become. Uh, but patience has been the big one for me. It, it helped me in family. It helped me with the business because, you know, you get excited. You have a product that's really looked at as, as top of the line, and you're like, well, sh we want to be everywhere. We want everybody to know this brand. Um, but it has to grow in time, and the stronger that it grows and the more patience that we have, it actually grows stronger and has a firmer hold on what we want it to be and not reaching too far out, not like launching 10 dudes to, to run the program, keeping the, the circle really small so that the program is pure and it, it keeps the high quality that it's known for. But yeah, patience, man. And I, everything that I do, I think I hurt my foot. So now I have to be patient with that because I want to just go back in there and train again. And I, I try to live by this train every day and let life kind of give you days off when it, when it, when it, when it requires uh, you to do other things. And so the patience to just wake up, grind it out. And if I can't do what I want to do, all right, well, this is what we're doing today, but we'll make up for it over here. Sure. And I guess part of that, you know, kind of wraps up with, uh, with patience in general is the discipline of, like you said, you know, just being able to kind of control yourself, uh, and those those impulses to actually make yourself patient. It's it's easy to tell yourself to be patient, but to actually discipline yourself and and make yourself be patient is a totally different thing. I I think for me, you know, in, in my martial arts journey, that I think the biggest thing that I I really got out of it or have gotten out of it is getting to know you know deeper myself a little bit. Um, there, there's a there's a quote from Fight Club that I love, and it's, you know, when Tyler Durden says, you know, how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? And I think that's, I think there's so much truth there that when you get in a fight or even if you're just training, it's not just you fighting the guy that's across from you. So much of it is in your head, like how, how much you're going to allow your insecurities to to take over, how much you're going to allow your, your rage, your anger, you know, how, how how much you're able to moderate yourself to actually like let that training out in an effective way. Um, and for me, I, I was always somebody when I was younger, I had a lot of confidence issues and um, I used to have this reoccurring dream when I was a kid where I would get in a fight with somebody and I'd be throwing these punches and like, I would just be lighting them up, like really, really hitting them, connecting right on, right on the chin. Like they should have been going down but they're just standing there, not even phased. Like the face doesn't move. There's no response at all. 
And I guess that was something in me where I was maybe afraid I couldn't handle myself. And I'll never forget probably around the time I got my purple belt in jujitsu, I was starting to get pretty good. I was uh, competing a lot. I was, I was high ranked at purple belt traveling around and I had this dream and it was the reoccurring dream and I got in a fight and I just like took the guy down and choked him out because it, it didn't matter that I didn't, I couldn't do any damage with the punches anymore. I could just take him down and finish him. And I, um, yes, yeah, so I think there, there's like a, there's a balance there, right. Too. I think that, you know, if you're somebody that's maybe a little bit hot headed, which, you know, not, not judging you, but you, you mentioned you like to brawl and stuff. Maybe, maybe you were a guy that was a little bit more hot headed. Maybe I was a little, a guy that was a little bit more, you know, introspective, like low self-confidence kind of thing. But it's funny how, you know, maybe two people from different sides of the spectrum can, you know, benefit from it. And, uh, how do you think, like, for someone that's not involved in law enforcement or that's, you know, not involved in the military, that never has plans of getting into any kind of altercation or having to defending themselves, like, what what kind of benefits do you think, like, training, you know, specifically your type of training could be for somebody that, you know, just, just a normal person? That's a great question, and we, we actually field that question a lot because you're like, hey, I've never done anything. Is your, your training only for you know, jujitsu folks are only for wrestlers or only for, you know, MMA fighters. Cause they see what we do and they think like, Hey, you have to come in and be like us to do those things. And the, another really fun element about training and constantly looking at things and how people react and move and just body awareness in developing the pronouns and well, how can we make this make sense for the soccer mom, the CrossFit athlete, the jujitsu player, the boxer, the wrestler, the cop, how can everybody benefit from this? And a lot of it has to do with the program being simplified so that people can use it right away, right? So what does that mean to, to, to the question? And it, body awareness is going to be the biggest thing. Just learn your body, move around, know how your hips shift from one side to the other, know what your hip is doing, how your feet feel on the ground, and just like leaning left, leaning right, and shifting your weight just so that you feel your body. I think people have this huge disconnect with their bodies, right? Like, oh, it's just the thing that we move around in. They don't give it enough credit. Like, learn what your joints do when they move, when they rotate. Where are you strong? How does it feel to push against the wall? How does it feel to push against the ground? Just reconnect yourself with your body. I think, man, and that's such a big thing uh, for people. They've lost that sense of, of their – because nobody does a lot of manual stuff anymore, right? We work out with, like – machines and, and, and toys, basically, right? These little shaped yeah. dumbbells. Nobody has to do hard labor where they know how to move and they learn by living a lifestyle of picking stuff up and moving them, right? Uh, so they go to the gym and they're very isolated in these perfect little positions and they move some weights around. But the moment you're like, hey, we'll do it on one foot while somebody's pushing you, regain your balance, still curl and don't fall. Right. Like normal everyday life. So like I'm walking, carrying a big ass sandbag. I trip, I fall, I almost fall or I don't, or I do fall, whatever the case There's cement on my shoulders. Right. There's something about being body aware that I think if people just spend some time doing those things, like lay on the ground and get up as fast as you can, not using your hands, lay on the ground, get up to your right, get up to your left, just little things where you're like, Oh, cool. This is what my body does. And this is what feels like this. And I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to my buddy, Dan Murray, who we train with all the time. We train together pretty often. And he's always talking about that, like, hey, shit, just change your stance and f for the whole day, just to see what your body feels like the opposite way, right? It's like that whole thing, like, hey, brush your teeth with your left hand if you're a right-hander, to just awaken new things in our brains. 
I think for anybody who carries any tool for self-defense or the potential for violence in their environment, just get in tune with your body. You'll avoid an access of adrenaline once you understand how to process the adrenaline. And a lot of that has to, uh, has a lot to do with high heart rate stuff, right? They, like, they, people like to simulate high heart rate for adrenaline training. And if you know what your body feels like when you're at your peak heart rate, well, that's going to be kind of close to that, but at least figure that out. You can't have an adrenaline dump on top of an accelerated heart rate and not have any idea what to do with those two things. So in the comfort of your home, you can work your heart rate and at least understand what your body's going to feel like when your legs become cement. And you're like, oh, man, this is risky business. And you're still able to move around and, and just body awareness. I don't know. <laughs> that's the simplest way I can tell people is body awareness. Learn your body. Everything else gets a lot easier from there. Yeah. And, and that's that quote again, right? Like how, how much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? You, you learn so much about yourself. You learn something that, that kills me sometimes is like, I, I'd compete a lot in jujitsu. And sometimes there'd be a situation where you're, you're down on points or, you know, you're in a bad position. Like someone, someone's caught you in a submission and there's like that voice that comes in your head and it's like, just tap, you know, like I just, I just want to tap cause I want it to be over or, you know, you're so tired and you're like, just submit me so like the, the match can be over or whatever. Like, I hated that voice. You know, like you, the, the matches that really killed me were the matches where I listened to that voice. Like, you're tired, just quit. Um, th that, I don't know, that that's that like body awareness, right? Is you, you get used to kind of being in the deep end. You get used to, like you said, having that heart rate up. You get used to being uncomfortable, to getting smashed, to getting put in these situations. And you just learn something about yourself and how you respond as a human being when you put yourself voluntarily into these situations where, like, most people have just been taught and would think that they would want to avoid at all costs. Well, that fight comment, right? How much do you know about yourself if you haven't been in a fight? I think people read that. Or maybe they interpret it as it has to be a fight with somebody else, right? Like you're meeting for a duel. <laughs> Man, fight yeah. like not like knowing about fighting and knowing about yourself can be done without anybody else but you, right? That's how you get rid of that voice by training harder than anybody can push you. You can push yourself past any of those limits. This is how we do that. I'll sit in a sauna for as long as I can, and then one more minute, and then two more minutes, and then three more minutes, and then four more minutes, and you're just like, whoa. And you're getting to that panic point, right? And you can do this to yourself. You can fight with yourself in the healthiest of ways to make yourself better for the real deal. When time comes, you'll be, again, it goes back to, to everything that I do. I try to apply to everything, life, business, friendships, relationships, everything. And if I can be stronger for myself, well, guess what, man? I'm showing up stronger for you. I'm showing up strong for this podcast. I'm showing up stronger for everybody that I know that's going to rely on me or need me for anything. Uh, I have to stay mentally sharp because if somebody asks me for advice, I can't just give them, you know, nilly willy advice that doesn't suit them. Like these are the things that people forget is, and it's because nobody reaches out to each other for things either. Right? Like nobody's like, Hey man, what do you think about this? Or Hey, uh, what's, what's your advice on this? People want to figure it out themselves or they feel silly asking for help. Well, become that person that people look at and they're like, man, that dude's tough in every which way. Maybe if I have a question, I'll ask. That's the person that, that we want to be building. And that's fighting yourself. That's fighting for yourself. That's fighting with yourself. And then now you've fought three giant battles that when you have to fight another person, man, I've done this three different times. 
here we go. Are you ready? Did you fight these three battles? I hope so, because I'm coming fully trained, right? Like, that's what that quote means to me. Uh, I love that, man. I, I love that. Like you said, it, it's it, everything is a fight, um, you know, in, in one way or the other. And yeah, that that kind of brings me to, to to part of what what really interested me about you, like wanted wanted me to kind of bring you on the show too. Is you know, I, I go through your Instagram page, right? And you know, there's all these there's gun disarms, there's jujitsu, there's people getting like stabbed. You know, not not actually stabbed. You know, <laughs> we're using like the uh, the dummy knives and everything. But but then I also like I go through and I see you know I see like a you using Vivaldi in some of your posts or. I see a, you know, Shakespeare book there. Um, I, I try to fashion myself the same way. And I, I talk about this a little bit. I've been looking into this more lately, but there, there's an old Greek word, uh, arete. And it just basically means excellence, right? It's, it's this kind of like, it's this concept, I guess, that permeates everything that we do. And the Greeks were really big about this. It's just that everything you do, you should do it to the best of your ability, right? It There's so much focus on specialization in today's age that I think we, you know, well, it's, it's okay for me to be fat and sloppy and treat people like shit and do all these things because, you know, I'm a good programmer and I make $150,000 a year or whatever it is, right? So there, there's this loss of emphasis on just kind of being well-rounded at, at being excellent, you know, at, at pushing yourself to grow and evolve not just in one aspect of your life, but, you know, in multiple ways. Um, and, you know, I, I see that in you and I appreciate that in, you know, what I've seen and kind of like some of your work and some of the things you've said. So, I mean, do you, do you look to like classical knowledge? I know you said that you uh, have some interest in like the medieval world. I mean, do you look to classical knowledge as a source of inspiration? Like how does, how does that kind of integrate into your, you know, into your mindset? I do. I, they were not that they were simpler times because I think life was harder then than how we have it now. Everything is like convenient now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, what's made people really lazy. Convenience should have elevated us to be like, Oh cool. We don't have to source water when well, I have two more hours to get jacked and train harder. Right. <laughs> but no, instead yeah. we use it to watch Netflix and get fat. Right. Um, so people do weird things with conveniences. Uh, so I look at those times and I'm like, okay, if this dude put all of this information down, and he lived a horrible uh, lack of comfort life where he had to do all these things, right? Like there's no light, there's no like electricity, there's no running water. And we have these great minds still putting these things out. Well, what was the, what were the attributes that that dude had and why did he write those things? And those are the things that I try to pull, right? Uh, a lot of the honor stuff, the, the not obedience, but there is a, le a, a layer of it. Um, the idea of following, right? So the whole samurai being a servant idea, I think that takes a lot of ego out of a person and allows you to excel in ways that people don't understand or realize. Like once you take a little bit of that, you, and in my morning prayers, right, I always ask for another day to serve. And it's like, cool, man, that powers me up. That sets me for the day, right? And those are the things that I post. I'll post things, uh, spiritual things. I'll post classical things. And everyone's like confused at times. They're like, dude, what is going on? 
And I'm like, dude, you need to be good at everything. You need to look into the past to figure out kind of who you are, what social standings you would have been in, right? Like not all of us would have been knights. Not all of us, you know, the majority would be bread makers maybe, right? Or basket weavers, um, but not a lot of knights, not a lot of heroes of old, not a lot of uh, um, Beowulfs, right? That's one of my, my yeah. favorite ones. I named some of my drills in, in the Rogue Methods training. Uh, I named one the Grendel just because it's it's a basically a two-on-one and I'm taking that arm from that other person and just like uh, Beowulf took Grendel's arm, right? So I look to the past just for those inspirations of strength and durability in a time where things weren't as easy as we have them now. And I'm like, man, if these guys can produce some excellent uh, pieces of work, what are we doing and why aren't we doing the same thing? Yeah, t- times were simpler, but not easier. <laughs> Right. Like there, there were less distractions. I think there were a little bit less things going on, but it was a lot more brutal. It was a lot more honest. Uh, you know, you, you look at like, just as an example, and I'm not picking on anybody, but like politics, right. You, you look at modern politics and it's, it, it's like all the same shit still happens. that happened. Like there, there's corruption, there's murders, there's people killing people to, to keep people quiet. You know, Epstein, you know, hung himself in a cell or whatever, uh, th- these things still happen, but it's like, we're, we're kind of blind to it. We're, we're, we don't see the brutality. We've learned how to kind of mask things a little bit more where, you know, back in the middle ages, if, if you wanted somebody dead, you just poisoned them and there wasn't really anything that anybody would do about it. So, you know, it's like all the same components of, of human nature were there. They were just, it, it was almost just a little bit more honest. It was a little bit more brutal. And, um, yeah. the, you know, there, there is so much inspiration, like, I recently reread uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad and I just, you know, just rereading them again. I just, I like, I'm blown away every time I read them. Like just these stories of inspiration of what people can go through, what, what they can overcome. And uh, that, that's one of the things I love about the classical world. It's just like you said, looking back at someone else that displayed excellence and using that as kind of an inspiration as how, like for how we can be better, how I can be better myself. For sure. I actually, I have it. I just got it in. I'd lost my whole library when I moved to Arizona. So I've been slowly rebuilding my library and I, I just picked that one up and it's in my third stack of, or the third book in my, my next to read again. So it's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, it, it's, I, I, I was blown away by how brutal uh, like the Iliad was specifically, I mean, you just, yeah. it's like, you know, and then mid sentence, he cut his sword through, through his skull and his brains dropped out. Like I was just, yeah. it, it's been many years since I read it and I just did not remember like how, how brutal it really was. Yeah, it's pretty raw and real. I, I, it's a good read. Yeah. So for somebody that's, uh, you know, looking to get started in, at martial arts, looking to get started in, you know, tactical training, that kind of thing. Like, what do you recommend for someone like to, to get started? Do you have like beginner courses or, you know, what, what would you suggest to someone? So we, it's not that they're not beginner courses because we really do spin people up as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do start from a baseline. So a lot of what you would need for our program, you would need just the fundamentals of marksmanship and safe gun handling. Right. And again, that's like 
the foundation or the principles of any martial art, understanding, again, yourself, your equipment, and then being safe with the people around you. So for us, you do need a little bit of training before you can show up as far as firearms go. So we, we have two divisions. We have the, the combative side and we have the firearm side. Mm-hmm. The firearm side does focus on self-defense uh, as a priority, but it's done without the contact fighting. So it's all range style shooting. The combative side is all hands-on, grabby, touchy, punchy, all that good stuff. Um, that one doesn't require as much. Just show up and we'll, we'll, we'll see where you're at. And you'll kind of leave with an understanding of what you prefer. And I think that's that's the best way that we put it. It's like you'll come in and you'll be like, okay, cool. Maybe I do like wrestling. Maybe I do like jujitsu. Maybe I prefer some striking. Uh, maybe I prefer to just be the big, strong guy that just pushes people away. So people come on, they find out real quick who, what style of self-defense uh, caters to them. And then they'll either join a gym or something like that. That's like big uh, messages back to us. People are like, oh, I joined a jiu-jitsu gym or I joined a boxing club or I joined this. It's like, dude, that is awesome. You came to us for a specific thing and now your whole life has changed and now you're living out of a, a dojo somewhere getting, uh, getting more awesome, right? Uh, so where I would tell people to start as far as what we do, there's tons of local companies for people. I don't think they have to reach out too far from where they live. Find a local range, train a little bit, but just train with people and have an open mind. Don't take one person's word for an end all be all. And that's what happens in the tactical world. People will start off, they'll go to their local club and it's a dude from, I don't know, he was a cop in the eighties and now he's the tactical guru there. And he's like, this is the way we do it. And they brainwash people into believing these fixed ideas and then uh, they come to training with us where we're a lot more open-minded, where we're going to dig into you and figure you out so that you can figure yourself out. Because apparently you didn't come prepared for that kind of education. And so we have to like break all these old habits, right? So be mindful of who you're training with, but train with everybody. Have an open mind. I've trained with some crazy people and I'm like, wow, I would never do that in real life. But here I am respectfully listening to you until the day is done. And then I'll just reset myself and go somewhere better. Uh, but seek out local people. You don't have to travel far. You, know, you don't have to make excuses about, oh, well, that guy's in Tennessee or oh, lives out all the way in Arizona. I can't train with him because he's so far away. Uh, there's really no excuse for it. Train with somebody local. And then when you feel confident, hey, we're traveling around the country and you can come visit us. Yeah. And with, with Rogue Method, you guys do, it, it looks like you, you do a lot of traveling, right? So you do kind of uh I don't know what you could, you know, workshop, seminar kind of, uh, yeah, We're kind of model, I guess. Team essentially. Okay. And do you, you travel yeah. all over we, the country or mainly like maybe, or mainly like out in the West or, you know, where, where all do you guys travel to? So being old, right. And having, uh, joints that don't work as good as they used to when we were younger, I try to follow the seasons. I follow the warm weather. So when it's cold in the Midwest, <laughs> I go to south. And when it's nice in the Midwest, we go to the Midwest. So seasonally, we're, we'll be where the weather makes the, the the best sense. We spend a lot of time into the San Diego area, Dallas, Texas, uh, Orlando, Florida, you name it. I think we're there's a map behind me and it's you can't see them, but there's a bunch of little pins in, to, in all the cities and towns that we've trained in. And nothing's pretty riddled, so... We, we travel the whole country, depending on, again, the, the seasons, we'll be in better better climates than others. Uh, we do a lot of the Midwest in the summertime months. We do a lot of the 
winter we'll spend it in the on the southwest just because it's a little bit cooler than the 115 degree days in phoenix uh, but even then we'll go out there and have fun in whatever weather brings for the day but yeah we're we're in pretty much every major city in the united states will have some sort of training event this year awesome. and the years to follow awesome so that uh that'll kind of take us into i guess the the kind of the second portion i, I like to ask uh handful of questions to every guest that comes on. I, I like to repeat them just, just to get an idea on a personal level, you know, what, what kind of makes someone's tick or what makes someone tick, what kind of habits and things they go into. Uh, the, the first thing I always like to ask is typically when I speak to anybody who's successful to, to any level at anything, they almost always can point to, you know, at least one, if not a handful of times where, maybe they suffered like a major setback and that setback ended up turning into an opportunity that helped them kind of get to where they are today. So looking back on your life, do you, do you have any moments like those that really stand out where you, you had like a major event that kind of happened and it caused you to shift and change your direction other than the coin flip to Arizona? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a ton there's a ton in there. The decisions to like leave the military were kind of like that, that that right away takes you out of the military and puts you on a brand new path, right? Uh, all of those things were, were a constant shift. They were big shifts. Uh, I have this thing now, and I, I noticed the trend not too long ago, where like every four to five years, <laughs> not that I get bored, but I'm like, hey, let's do something new, right? And that's kind of like that window where it was five years in Chicago, flip that coin, and we're in, in Arizona. Spent a little bit of time there and then Rogue Methods came uh, before I was with another major company and I kind of did all their training program. This is where kind of this spinoff came from. And all of that is, is these cycles of like five years, something happens and I don't even plan for it. It just kind of happens, right? Everything from divorces that have to make me look inside and be like, man, am I the problem? Was she the problem? What was the problem? And then once you figure those things out, it makes you better for the next. So now I figured out the divorce situation. I figured myself out and how I'm going to handle that. Uh, I figured out the business side and what I want to be doing. I figured out the kids stuff finally, and now we're doing good with the kids. All these things where I wasn't making the best decisions, and I'll take ownership of a lot of the mistakes from my past with, with relationships, kids, business, or, or professions where I had to shift out of. Like I was just not good anymore at that because I was either bored or it wasn't fulfilling or I wasn't learning anything. And if I'm not learning and progressively getting better, I start to just push things to the side and then I'll start yeah. shifting to, towards the things that I want. And sometimes it becomes this like really abrupt tear apart that, that it might look like a traumatic moment in time, but really it is just like a ripping off a bandaid. Like, all right, I'm so done with this, but I've been dealing with it the wrong way for so long. Uh, so I think throughout my life, there's been at least four or five big moments that, that have led me to where I am now. And I look back and I'm like, man, I'm really grateful for those. It was shitty. It was shitty for everybody involved. Uh, but now everybody that was involved, we are all good friends and everything makes sense. And a lot of it just had to do with being where I wanted to be and allowing myself the permission to do the things that I wanted to be doing instead of being stuck just for the sake of somebody else. Yeah. It, it's funny you mentioned the, like the four year relationship cycle thing. Cause I actually recently like had a realization that I did the same thing in relationships, like every four years. And, uh, 
Yeah, I'm I'm engaged now. I've, I've uh, you know been been with my fiance. We we've been together a little less than a year, but I I feel like just being aware that I was kind of doing that cycle has really set me up well for this relationship because you know I've, I've realized a lot of the things that I was doing wrong, and um, as you mentioned. One of the things I realized with relationships is I was kind of doing the same thing. Like I get into a relationship, it gets old, you know, you, you get used to one another and all those things. And I just kind of like, all right, time, time for the next one. And I just kind of like rip the bandaid off. And, um, I realized that if I ever want to have like a real meaningful relationship that lasts a long term, I have to put in work to, to keep that thing going, right? Like to, to keep that thing alive, like part of the issue, like I would always blame them and I would say, well, they stopped trying, but part of it is, is I lost, you know, I, I stepped off my game too. You know, maybe, maybe they stopped going to the gym, you know, maybe they stopped doing some of the things that we did, but you know, like I also stopped some of the stuff I was doing. I stopped with, you know, the flowers and I stopped with the romance and things. So like, you know, as men, like we're, we're responsible to, to keep that thing alive too. So, um, I think communication is a big one. I think I learned that uh, a lot from the past and then people aren't freaking mind readers, man. And we yeah. need to be, we need to understand that. Right. So if we change our likes, let's say, right. You go from, I don't know. Let's say you like eating chicken more than you like eating beef, but then you change your mind and you go back to beef, but you don't let anybody else know. And she keeps cooking you these chicken dinners because she thinks that you like chicken when you could have easily just communicated. Right. But instead you're like, Oh, she doesn't get me. She doesn't listen. I, you know what I mean? And we push people away for it. It's a crude example, yeah. but it, it's just to prove a point that like, Hey, just because you're with somebody, you can't expect them to be a mind reader just because they've been with you for so long and the, your ability to communicate and not, not get frustrated is a big, big deal. Uh, this is a huge lesson for me. And, and now if, if there's anything on my mind, if I want something or if there's something that I would like to see or something that I feel is missing, I communicate it right away so that they have that in front of them and they can give it to you. If, if, if you really, if you're asking for it, they'll do what it takes to give you what you want. And that's, what's going to give you a long-term effect. It's something you do with kids, tell them what you expect from them, lay the path, uh, inspect what you expect from them, from everybody. And then nobody lets you down because you've laid a base, a base layer for them to be able to achieve at a, at a baseline, the things that you would like to see from them and from the relationship you have with other people. So I think communication is a big deal and people have kind of lost that art because they're too busy, uh, liking stuff instead of being loved. So it's weird. Yeah. Dude, that's great advice. I, I wasn't expecting for us to, end up discussing relationship <laughs> advice on this one, but that, that's some good <laughs> that's stuff weird. right there. Um, moving on, one of the ones I like to ask too is about habits. So t tell me about, do, do you have any very special habits that you, you're engaged in every day? And uh, if so, what are they? So every morning, and I started this, well, two little things. I added a new one, but every morning I get up, first thing I do, I go over, I face the East, I pray, uh, not a Muslim thing, right? People confuse that with a Muslim thing. I just use it. So Christians kind of get up and they pray however it is that they pray. And it's, it's, it's awesome. Right. So just to dig into like a little bit of a spiritual side here, uh, mm -hmm. I get up and I pray to the East cause I know people are praying to the East. So now I'm connected to this network of energy and strength going in one direction, right? More than anything, it's just for me. It doesn't have, it's not connected to anything, any, 
any specific group or anything like that. It's just something that I thought was really rad. Uh, I went into an airport when, uh, a while ago and they have chapels, right? And it's just a chapel for all, uh, all the religions of, of whoever decides to step in and, and be there. And two Christians just kind of sitting there doing nothing. And then six or seven Muslims laid out praying to the East, like in a flow. And I was like, man, that there's something powerful about that. Yeah. I like things like that. Like I, I just yeah. like when there's a devotion from a human being towards anything, the discipline and beauty of it all is just like it, when I watch certain movies and people are like willing to die for their king or willing to die for their family or something, right? There's these, t I just like, man, your ability to love something so much that you'd sacrifice everything for it. I think there's something incredibly beautiful in that. And so I was like, I'm going to add that into the, my routine. So for, for, for a while now, I, and I wake up, I pray to the East and I start moving my body. I move every single joint in my body until I'm done. And then is when I start my day after that. So that's my routine every morning. I get up, I pray, I work all the joints in my body. I wake it all up. I'm grateful for every single movement and it allows me to get my breathing in tune for the day. My body gets warm. And then I connect again from the first conversation that we had was connecting the body to, to the mind so that I know how it's moving, how it's working, what's feeling wonky, what's not feeling good. Am I tired here? Am I not rested enough on this side? Did I sleep weird? Am I not taking in enough air? Little things uh, that, that are super important that allow me to stay connected with who I am as a person so that the moment I walk through the doorway and I greet the family in the morning, they're getting somebody that's already awake, fully like supercharged with themselves and they're getting the best part of me. I come down with a smile, say hello to everybody. It's not like, oh, I'm tired, wait for my first cup of coffee. Fuck, that's retarded. You should be awakened in your body so much that the first people that you see and the first people that you meet that morning, they're like, whoa, this chunk full of energy just walked in the room. Like that's how you should live your lives. And that's how I try to live my, that's my morning routine is supercharge everything, come out, say hello. Uh, but recently I added this one and I was kind of playful with it for people that don't work out or don't do a lot of like push-ups and things like that. I started in the beginning of the year, 10 push-ups every day until Sunday, then add a push-up. So then you go the next week at 11 push-ups. Then that next Sunday becomes 12. Then the next Sunday becomes 13 and so on and so on and so on until you're doing 52 push-ups and you're like, whoa. Uh, this is awesome. I went from not being able to do any to being able to do 52 just because I threw in this silly little morning. Hey, I'm going to push the earth around a little bit uh, every morning. So uh, that, that was a cool little thing that, that I added on next year. I'll make it a little bit more challenging and see, see what happens with people. Awesome. So that means next year, by the end, you're going to be doing 104 pushups every, every morning. <laughs> yeah. Just like that's, before anything else. <laughs> that that's respectable. One hundred and four, man. I don't. Um, I, hey, I really like the idea. When I was younger, to, not to cut you off. In the military days, when we were younger, we used to. Man, I think I was out. I was doing eight, not warm. One hundred and ten, warm, straight. So you do like twenty just to warm everything up, and then you'd hit your full max. I think I was up to like one ten. 105, 110. Um, some sloppy ones at the end, sure, right? Like wiggle wormy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it'd be cool to get back to that. Yeah. And I, I love 
<clears throat> I love what you talked about as far as you know starting your morning like facing to the east and just being connected and you know something something a lot of people don't realize about like Islam too is Islam I believe in Arabic actually means submission like the the whole idea behind Islam is that you are submitting yourself to God and th there's something about I, I just talked to a guy who's you know he's a he's a Christian recently and um He's a pastor, he does training, he does life coaching, things like that. But, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, in the in the Western world, how it's like a lot of people they go to they go to church and they're a Christian on Sunday and then they, they forget that and they don't they don't pray during the week. They it's like they have this one hour span of the week where they're where they're spiritual or where they're, you know, practicing religion or they're a Christian and they just go about the rest of their yeah. days. And, you know, part of the reason that like Islam has spread the way that it has part of the reason people are willing to die for it is because it, it really is a way of life. Like you're, you're putting in this call to prayer, you know, five, six times a day, every single time before you pray, you go wash your hands, you go make yourself clean. You face, you know, you face a certain direction. Um, I, I don't know. There, there, there is something really beautiful about just really submitting yourself to that, like, to that routine and reminding yourself over and over and over again at, at periodic days that or it, periodic parts of your day, like you're, you're nothing, right. You're, you're nothing, but you're connected to everything at the same time. So. And that, that nothingness leaves you so open to everything, right. You're submitting, but you're submitting your ego. You're not necessarily submitting like, People think of that word in a weird way, uh, but when I pray, and even it, it, and I do pray uh, the way uh, the Muslims pray, and I just I don't do it because of anything other than it's showing a submission. Like, hey, I wake up, and the first thing I do is let you know that I'm here. I'll continue to do the things that are required of me. I'll do them in full faith, love, and passion. And it's like, hey, use me however you want. But this is this is the path that I'm doing, right? And if I'm called to do something cool, whatever, right? I'm not uh, I'm not going to say that I'm special in any way that, that I I hear the voice, right? <laughs> A lot of dudes say some shit like that. I'm like, come on, man, you should probably get in shape, and that's the voice telling you to get in shape more than anything else, right? Because um, that's another way of honoring, right? You're giving this, you're given a machine. You better build it, man. It's not going to build yes. itself. And there is a level of meditation and there is a level of self-care and self-love that goes into being in shape and being strong that, uh, again, makes you a pillar for the people around you. They, they look at you for strength, both spiritually, mentally, and, and physically, and you have to be that person. But uh, I do like that connectedness. And uh, the submission doesn't make you weak. It just allows you to navigate in waters that nobody else gets to go in because they're too busy. Like, oh, I don't want to be, uh, you know, seen as this or I don't want to be seen as that. And people are ashamed to pray. They're ashamed to go do these things. And I was like, dude, what? I look at you and you're frail and you're judging me because I'm praying when I can easily change this pace and crush you. But I won't because I live this style of life. But you don't have that choice. You are weak and that's all you have. Like you can't turn things on and off, right? Like that's that beauty of being uh, capable of doing all these things, but still being uh, being a servant and submissive to the things that really matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, that's, uh, 
true leadership, you know, as you talked about, right, it it comes from a place of confidence and a place of, of, of just supreme confidence and power, but you, you kind of relinquish the, the ego side of it, right? It, It comes from just knowing that you can do what you need to do, knowing that you're capable, but, you know, choosing to kind of make yourself small in, in front of something bigger than yourself at the same time. I mean, that, that's, that's the ultimate, right? Like it, it's easy to, to say, well, I'm going to submit if you, if you know that you're weak and you know that you can't handle yourself or whatever, but when you, when you know that you're capable, when you know that you're strong and then you can still bring yourself to a place of realizing how small you really are in the, in the scheme of things, I think that that's like, that's the real humbling experience, right? That's a great point, my friend. Very yeah. good point. Um, so next one, uh, obviously I know you, you read a little bit, at least, uh, you have two, two book recommendations you'd give out if you could pick like any two books for people to read. Yeah, actually I laid them out just cause, uh, I was like, I don't want to forget. And these are my most recent, like enjoyable reads. One's a classic I've had forever, man. I had it since I joined the military and I still recommend it to people. So guns, bullets, and gunfights by Jim Carrillo. If you haven't read this one, I'm sure you'll check it out. But this one was wild, man. He basically was tip of the spear, New York, undercover coppers when they were robbing all the convenience stores and all the shopping malls. And they they were like the first unit. And he basically figured out how to make these rounds that would stop humans. Like they didn't have hollow points like we do now. And this dude basically made his own round. Just a bunch of wild stuff where he's hiding in the back in the, in the little dressing room and somebody comes and robs the Woolworths and he comes out and he's like, hey, hands up. And the guys are like, no. And he starts shooting at each other. Crazy, wild, cool, like 70s cop stuff. Um, but that's that's a great book. I always recommend that one for folks that want to hear about some cool, like 70s cop stuff. Guns, bullets, and gunfights. All right. uh, the Lessons of History. That's another one. Uh man, I go in there and I'm just like, wow. I was like, I had to have lived in these times, or at least I, I like to pretend that I would have lived in those times. And, and I, I, <laughs> I was in all those battles. Right. Um, but who knows, maybe I wasn't, uh, but that's another great one. I, if there's a trend with the books that I, I like to get for travel, they're about two to 300 pages. They fit well in, in, in my, in my travel cases and I'm able to pop them up anywhere and read them. So like, <laughs> they're almost like all the same size too. Like, yeah. Uh, but there, there's a thing for that. Like if I'm traveling, that's the kind of book I'm traveling. I'm not traveling with, you know, my Shakespeare that's like this big because it's got the complete works. That's like an at home thing, right? Maybe sure. Hamlet. I have just Hamlet. That was one I read recently just to reread. Obviously, I have your book. Great, great uh, read. And I was impressed, man. I'm not going to lie. I was like, man, this dude has put together some really cool stuff from the moment that, that you dig into the first few pages to the very end. It's like, okay, I like this. I'm going to recommend this to all my friends and let's, let's see what they have to say about it. But for me, that was a really good one. I enjoyed traveling with that one. I read it pretty quickly in my like scan reading because I wanted mm-hmm. to be done with it before we had this conversation. Um, I'm going to go back and read it again, slowly, smoothly, maybe some highlights, maybe some writing in there just to uh, really dig into the little things. And then for anybody who teaches, coaches, or does anything, the uh, the science of storytelling. This is a big one just because of the way they dig into how people tell stories, why they tell stories, and how stories connect with people. 
it's just super important. And once you, once you see that and you understand it, you become a better communicator. And that's what I used it for. I used it to become a better communicator, not so much like the storytelling aspect, but how to leave a lasting impression with somebody and just being more vivid and more descriptive and then really connecting it to something real that we've all experienced. So we've all experienced certain things that, that make us human and uh, the connecting of those dots is, is a really big deal. So those would be my recommendations for now. Awesome. Next year, who knows what I'll be reading. <laughs> yeah. Those are mo- mostly some new ones for me. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to check those out. The, uh, the first one, gu- uh, gun, guns, bullets. <laughs> yeah. Guns, bullets, and gunfights. Yeah. That sounds pretty interesting. I'll yeah. definitely have to check that one out too. So it's a good one. It's a fast read too. It's really cool. Cool. Um, the next one I'd like to ask, and I get a lot of the same, uh, answer right but do do you have any uh do you have any heroes that you you know even if not necessarily a hero now any anybody that was a hero to you before that you looked up to or so and this was one of the the the, the ones that that struck something with me when uh we we briefly mentioned it and i was like man do i do i want to do the whole like because i've had i've had inspirations for things and i think they're more inspirations I mean, to me, heroes are, are your everyday folks that are willing to stand up for themselves and the people that they love because it takes guts to stand in the face of danger. Uh, yeah. So those are my heroes in that sense, like people that are really committed to, to the people around them because you don't have to do certain things, right? I just saw this video today and this dude on a plane is threatening to kill everybody and do all this stuff and everyone's just that. sitting I around. I saw that post, yeah. They're just sitting there. I was like, are you kidding me? One, you're not delaying my flights because I need to be somewhere. So I'm pissed that you're delaying my flight, one, right? Two, if I'm with my family, I take it very personally when people are aggressive in public and my family's there because they don't know how to control their emotions the way I do. And, and they, they, at some point they do, they, they understand it. And if they see that I'm calm, they're calm. And so, but still, it's like you're not putting any anything anywhere I am. It's a, it, not a safe environment in the sense that it needs to be all like, you know, roses and dandelions. But it, it's it's a place where you're not going to come and disturb our peace. So when I saw that, I was like, man, dude, if one guy would have just stood up and put their bag in this dude's face and just sat him down, it would have changed the pace of everything, right? Not wait till the very end because you see all the heroes at the very end. They all line up to help like seven deep. Well, you can't even do anything. Why are you even standing up? Right. You should have done it before the dude even stood up because he's in a comfortable seated position. Easy, easy to deal with that guy when he's sitting down. Uh, but that bothered me. Right. Uh, it's like these everyday dudes that are willing to pull over and help somebody change a tire. Everyday folks that are like, man, look at that guy. He looks hungry. Here's my my food from earlier. Those are the people that are going to change the world because we're losing that type of personality or that that personality trait in people were caring about other people and we need to bring that back so i like moving into a new neighborhood met all the neighbors went shook hands let everybody know if they need anything this is where we are and what we can provide if anybody wants to come to us for anything uh just reconnecting with the people the people that aren't afraid to be friends with strangers i think are are important people so instead of the cliche like cops and superman like yeah those are all like yeah we get it those are heroes that do cool stuff i think the unsung heroes and the people that that really inspire me to be better are those people that are going out of their way to help other people that's awesome man that I, I really like that. That actually, uh, that's really got the wheels turning in my head too. When I'm, when I think about, uh, 
you know, because a, a lot of people, when I, when I ask this question, they'll, they'll kind of say, well, I don't really have heroes. I have people that I look to for inspiration. And I think it's, it's funny, right. That all these people that I've asked have all kind of been coming to the same answer, which is that, you know, why, why are we like idolizing these people, right? We shouldn't, most people who are like successful, successful, they're like, I'm not going to idolize someone, you know, we're all human. We have flaws. There's things I can learn from this person, but I want to learn from a lot of people. But then I guess when I really think of what does it mean to be a hero, to be a hero really is like, like you said, it's, it's the person that's willing to stand up for what, what they believe in, right? Regardless of the consequences, regardless of what, what someone may say, it's just, it's, that's a hero, right? Is the person that's, you know, willing, willing to die to do what's right. So you, you definitely, you, you inspired me a it's little like, bit with that you, one. <laughs> well, a lot of it has to do with kids, man. And I'm sure, I don't know if you have kids, but when you have kids, you're going to want to be that, that gem of a person for them. And you're, yeah. you're the last example, the last example of a man, or if you have a daughter, the last example of what a man should be for a woman. And I think dudes forget that. They're like, ah, we'll let somebody else be the hero, right? We'll let somebody else do that. I'm like, man, if people are watching, dude, not only are they seeing you as a, as a man, so now they're categorizing all of us as being these little scared dudes on this plane. But like, if your kids are there, you know what I mean? But then you're, imagine that, that your kid is with you and you get up and you make peace for everybody on that plane. How proud that kid's going to be to be your son, right? How all the other kids are going to be like, whoa, that kid's dad. Like, those are heroes, man. People, yeah. people get wrapped up in all this like big wig stuff because people are chasing the wrong things, right? They're chasing things that can easily shift and, and just mow people down. But what happens to that beautiful strength and that spirit of men being men and women being women and honoring their position in life? Like, those are heroes, dude. I don't know. Maybe it's just an old school way of saying things, but I think uh, that's important. I love it, man. It's, it's resonating with me. I like it a lot. So, uh, to last, last question, I always like to ask this one. Imagine, you know, you, you can go back in time, talk to yourself. You know, I, I typically think of the teenage years cause I feel like we're, we're all kind of lost when we're teens. We're trying to figure ourselves out. If you could go back in time, give some advice to a teenage version of yourself, what would it be? <laughs> Man, I had no idea this one was going to come, but I was actually thinking of it the other day. I had a buddy put up a post, um, Ed Calderon from Ed's Manifesto put up a post like saying it, it was similar. Like how, what would you do differently? Right. Just same concept, maybe phrased differently. And uh, I think I would just tell myself to, I would, one would be a word of encouragement. It'd be like, it all gets better would be the first phrase. And that sets the tone. And then I think the advice so that's more of the statement. The advice that I would give myself is listen more. You'll learn more from listening than talking right now. Because I was, I was a very gun-ho young man, and I bypassed a lot of great opportunities by just being too much, right? I wasn't ready for leadership, so I got bypassed for some things. And I look back now, I was like, man, would I have been a good leader had I given, been given that position? Or would I have just sucked because... I wasn't in the right mind frames, right? Or in the mind mindset. So I'd go, I tell myself those two things, right? It all gets better. And then listen, listen, because you'll learn more from listening than from talking. You already know the shit you're going to say. So listening is going to cue you in on a bunch of things you didn't know. Awesome. Great, great advice. 
that's a that's been a re- really reoccurring theme I've noticed on that one too. Is a it's a lot of uh, you know keep going, trust the process. You know, just it, it's all going to be okay. That kind of thing. I think I, I think that's the acknowledgement of you know even the things that we maybe didn't enjoy going through in the moment. They they help us become who we are. So we just have to you know kind of have faith and uh, learn learn to love those experiences, whether they're particularly enjoyable in the moment or not. But I think there's a level of maturity there when, when you realize that you wouldn't change the past. Right. Yeah. I got asked that once, uh, like, Hey, yeah. but what would you change? What would you do differently? I'm like, I don't do anything differently, dude. I love who I am now. And I had to have done all that shit to be where I am today. So I wouldn't do anything differently, but I would have probably listened more. That was the big one. And again, just the encouragement, right? You need a form of encouragement so that the next piece of advice sits in. If you just tell somebody, hey, listen better, eh, you're kind of like, meh, whatever. We're all kind of like, meh, knuckleheads, right? But if you give them that words of encouragement first, like, hey, it gets better. But make sure you do a little bit of listening instead of all the talking. Uh, That blend, I think, to me, resonates more because I don't want to change anything from the past. It's all exactly the way it was supposed to be so that I could be here right now with you having this conversation. Awesome. And on, on that note, man, I'm, I'm very glad we did have this conversation. I really enjoyed talking to you. You got my wheels turning. You got the philosopher's brain going. So, uh, you, awesome. you did good. Uh, are there any, I'll, I'll put links up in the description and obviously send me over anything you want me to put up. Anything sure. else you want to mention or any, you know, you want to mention like your website, anything like that? Yeah. Uh, if you guys want to hear kind of like similar to this conversation, I dropped philosophy on people and like fight culture stuff and just how to be better for the people that care about you and the people you care about. We do that all in our training, right? There's this like mental thing to it, physical for sure. And like you mentioned earlier, all the fighting over guns and knives and figuring out situations and how to clear your house, all the fun stuff. The training is the fun stuff, the hard parts looking in the mirror and then realizing that this is something that you need to do. Uh, But rogue-methods.com is the website. That's where we have all of our listings and everything that we do and our schedule as to where we are. The Instagram page is at rogue.methods. My personal Instagram is at raul.martinez.junior. And uh, that's where you can find me and all the stuff that you mentioned earlier, right? Everything from Shakespeare to spears in people's faces kind of deal. <laughs> um, the, the blend of it all. And what I do, it's my page is really me. It, it's really cool because people are like, hey, man, that I didn't know what to expect, but I had an idea. You're exactly what, I, what you represent yourself to be online, which is super cool, right? Most people have like an alter ego or a persona. And what you see on the internet is, I thought it was the easiest thing to just be myself on the internet. Cause then when I meet people, I don't have to be anybody else. I get to just be me and it all translates. Yeah. So that's been a huge compliment. Um, so if you want to see kind of like how I live and what I do and how we train, that's what my page is all about. And then the company pages, you can find all the team and all the cool stuff that we do uh, as well as a team traveling around. Awesome. Well, Raul, man, uh, I had a great time talking with you again. Uh, definitely don't be a stranger. Hope, hopefully we can uh, talk again soon, but uh, really appreciate you coming on today. No, thank you for having me. And again, thanks for the, the gift in the book. It was, it was an awesome read. No problem. All right. See you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. And hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.